Welcome to the We Are SC podcast. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Greg Katz. And, and Greg, let's uh, got a, a couple things to get into, and, and we'll start with some of the the ins and outs uh, with with the coaching staff and with the most recent news that Seth Dagey has been promoted to tight ends coach. And now we've got an offensive line coach in Clay McGuire, a, a tight ends coach, and also a new uh, the official title being director of football sports performance uh, in Robert Steiner. Let, let's start up front as it always do, as it always does. And, and as we always like to do with Clay McGuire, uh, the offensive line coach, and just, just to kind of hit a little bit uh, of, of his background before I, I open it up and, and get your thoughts on him coming in uh, to USC. This is a guy he's coming from, Texas State before that a huge chunk of his career spent under Mike Leach that's at Texas Tech that's at Washington State the connection with USC being the time he spent at Washington State overlapped for a couple years with Graham Harrell Uh, he comes in he's going to coach the offensive line your initial reactions to Clay McGuire being that guy well I have mixed feelings about it Uh, nothing about McGuire in general I'm sure having been under uh, Mike Leach and knowing Graham Harrell that it's going to be a good fit for for uh, for Graham Harrell I I think what it tells me is that Graham Harrell's calling all the shots on the offensive side of the ball and that Clay uh, Helton is giving him just the nod of approval Uh, what we have now is we've taken another uh, potential excuse that uh, the offensive line is being coached by someone like Tim Drevno, who was a power-oriented offensive line coach. And now you have a true air raid, if you will, offensive line coach. So, you know, from that standpoint, okay. But let's remember that, uh, you know, McGuire, uh, for the most part, is going to inherit a recruiting series of recruiting classes, uh, offensive line-wise, which were not at the, you know, the uh, five-star level with just a few four stars at best. So supposedly he, you know, I know that when he was at uh, Texas State, he uh, developed a second-team freshman All-America tackle, which I think bodes well for him. The question is this, can he really develop a three-star athlete into an effective uh, offensive line coach? I will say this, I don't think the line coach really other than recruiting. And of course, McGuire is just, you know, getting his feet wet as far as recruiting offensive line coaches for SC. We don't know how long he's going to be at SC because we don't know how long Graham Harrell is going to be at SC because we all know it's common knowledge that he's, uh, you know, put his feet into the interview uh, rooms of uh, different of the NFL and, and college football. So, you know, McGuire is not the answer to the to me of the uh, you know quick turnaround type of thing. But I think it's good that he knows the air raid offense. He knows he's not gonna, obviously he's not gonna argue with Graham Harrell about uh, you know X's and O's. He's just gonna say, he's gonna be told, here's what I want coached. Okay, fine. So SC has got an offensive line coach. He knows the air raid, that's good. We'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. I- I'm in lockstep with, with that you needed a guy that the amount of times we had to sort of talk about it and where you heard from trip tim drevno when this system first came in basically him saying i'm learning it too and and trying to have a coach learn something and then also give it to the players uh that, that's a tough thing 
for for anybody to do even at this level even a guy like like Tim Drevno who's been in football for a, a long time and and had a lot of success uh, at different places coaching the offensive line so you, you had to get everybody on the same page and I don't think this is a, a hire where everyone is going to go uh, yes this is a, a big name guy he's going to come in he's got a, a track record of you know, Alabama type success. And, and he's, you know, produced all these, all these massive offensive linemen and NFL draft picks and all that, but he does have a few of those. And, and with the spots that he's coached at, those aren't, you know, NFL factory programs that, that he's been to. So the success that he's had, I think that in itself is a reason to be a, a little bit excited about it, but then also, like you said, that there's no more of that sort of excuse of, oh, we're not all on the same page. That this You hired this guy exactly because he does put the offensive line, everything about the offensive line, on the same page as everybody else, as, as Clay Helton, as Graham Harrell, as the whole offensive staff. If you look at Clay Helton, the, the quote that he had when this announcement was made uh, his extensive knowledge of our offensive system. And, and that was kind of how they started explaining uh, the, the hire of Clay McGuire to the offensive line. And so at this point, it's like, let's, let's see. Let's see. Now, now everything is sort of facing the same direction. Um, again, I, you know, I don't think anybody is sitting there, you know, pounding. Well, not, not, I don't think anybody, but a lot of people are, still hesitant, you know, is, is this actually the right offense at USC? And, and I don't, you know, this isn't going to do anything to, to change that debate. Uh, but at least hopefully this lets you see kind of everything involved, I guess. And, and he's got some, maybe, maybe the biggest questions of any assistant coach to answer. And it starts at, at left tackle. I mean, the, the thought going into this season is, that might be USC is going to get a lot of guys back on that offensive line, a lot of starters and a lot of continuity there, but a, a huge hole at left tackle. And, and when we go to the next point here, I, I'm going to shake things up a little bit. It would make sense to go to Seth Dagey as, as the other assistant hired, but I'm going to go to Robert Steiner and, and the strength and conditioning, because I think that is sort of that that's the closest kind of hand in hand to adding Clay McGuire and, and getting that offensive line going. And, and uh, again, kind of kind of open-ended a little bit, but your reaction, your thought to hearing the, that Robert Steiner, who was an assistant in the, the strength and conditioning department at Notre Dame, he's coming over now and he'll be given sort of the, the keys to the football program for this offseason because it is all about that strength and conditioning department uh, during your winter conditioning session, during a, a huge chunk of the summer, those guys get to really sort of mold this team and, and set them up uh, for that 2021 season. I find the, um, the uh, hiring of, of uh, Steiner as very, very interesting. And I'll tell you why. The same reason I find McGuire interesting. It takes away in another excuse to why SC doesn't play up to the standards that everybody wants them to play physically. And what I mean by that is, okay, let's take a look at Steiner. Okay, he's got a Cincinnati uh, connection, right? He, he knows the athletic director, Mike Bone. No problem with me there. You know, that's not a problem. What Steiner brings is he was under Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly redid his coaching staff, and they've been quite successful since the redo, okay? 
But with Steiner, you're getting a guy that even if he was an assistant strength coach at Notre Dame, he knows the basic fundamentals of how physical Notre Dame's offensive line can be and how they got there. So to me, he's going to bring a lot of that same idea. Now, whether that idea meshes with what, what Graham Harrell wants and what uh, McGuire wants, of course, McGuire is going to do what Harrell wants, uh, is to me is, okay, here's how Notre Dame did it. Now, the one thing to remember about Notre Dame's linemen compared to USC's at this point in time, with all due respect to hyperbole, uh, you know, the Notre Dame linemen are basically five-star and four-star guys. I mean, you know that because they keep churning out groups of five to the NFL. That's not the case with SC under the current uh, arrangement. So how does, how does Steiner react and what can he do strength-wise uh, with USC-type athletes? You know, it's possible that he could turn them into really physical players strength-wise, but is that what Graham Harrell wants? And, and again, you know, you talk to some head coaches, and I certainly have talked to them at the collegiate level, who say the strength coach is told by the head coach what he wants, wants it to be. Now, I think we can fairly say that, you know, Aaron Osmus, who left, is not the reason why USC is not physical, okay? The style of offense that SC runs is not what you would consider a physical offense. Now, some people would argue that, well, Alabama runs a spread and, you know, some of the other schools do, but they so emphasize running and punishing and having tough backs that the SC uh, uh, air raid is not the same as Alabama. And you could say, well, of course not, Greg. That's, uh, you know, take a look at the alignment they have. But you know what? They emphasize. It's the point of emphasis. And Graham Harrell has given no indication that he is really all that concerned with uh, running the ball other than stretch plays. We don't see misdirection. And this is the whole conversation for another time. But I think uh, in, in reference to what Steiner will do is I think he takes out the old uh, excuse now that we don't we don't know how to produce physical offensive linemen, which I think he knows how to do because you had to learn something, wouldn't you think, if you were at Notre Dame for the last yeah, and, and couple of years? I, you know, I, I don't want to get us down this path of, of just you know praising Notre Dame. I, I just had lunch and I don't think I, I'm capable of that for for too long. Uh, but it is one of those things, you know, on the West Coast. If you're looking at the Pac-12, if Utah offers a defensive lineman, your ears perk up a little bit. Uh, it, it was all, you know, if Washington offered a defensive back, if Stanford offered a running back, you know, for, for a while it was like that. You looked a little bit more at those guys. What do they see in, in them? And they do such a good job at that spot. Hey, let's, let's take a look there. And Steiner, to me, falls in that a little bit where if, if it's a strength guy from Alabama, from Clemson, from Ohio State, from Notre Dame, it may be those four above anybody else you know Oklahoma I guess could could get in there too but uh, I I, I want to know what they know you know I want to know what they've learned being at those places and, and I want to hear kind of their ideas when they can take what they've learned from there and, and bring it somewhere else and so the fact that if when you're at USC I think as a as a fan you you know maybe it's earned it's it's on the edge of being earned right where if you're a usc fan you think we don't need somebody else's assistant to come over and take over our program at usc you you know you shouldn't be hiring uh a, a maybe a first-time head coach or something like that you know you you prove you can do it somewhere 
and then you come to USC. But I feel like for for this, I, I'm I'm okay, you know, with with this kind of thing. He was at Notre Dame for for long enough, where you know, like you said, he's going to pick up some things, and I think uh, be able to to mold them a little bit to what fits at at USC. And and he's been in it for a while. You know, this is a guy who was a strength coach. He's continuing to, to be a strength coach. I mean, I, you know, with Aaron Osmus, when he came in, he wasn't a, a strength, he wasn't coming off, you know, being a, a strength coach the previous year. And so I think now that he's kind of been in it and involved in it and, and he's seen USC, I mean, as someone who's at Notre Dame, uh, he's familiar kind of at, at least a little bit with the USC brand and, and even some of the players uh, on the roster. So I think it's a, I think ultimately it's a good fit. And so many of these things you, you get, you know, 2020 hindsight on it and down the road, it's like, okay, well that, that clearly didn't work out. But at this point I, I'm willing, you know, like, like you benefit of the doubt at this point, I, I think that this hire can work out and I think it's going to be um, a good mesh with that defensive staff, the defensive staff, you could tell, kick things up a notch uh, on the field, in the locker room, and especially in the weight room. They spent a lot of time, you know, with guys down in the weight room and, and kind of forming that bond and, and pushing and bringing that energy level there. Uh, and I think this is probably another good fit for that culture that USC keeps talking about uh, wanting to build. And, and so, again, that's it. It's so many of the things that USC does right now is kind of a we'll see uh, type of thing. But but I think ultimately, um it's a good sort of foundational hire to where you want to take the, the strength and conditioning and, and this being now the director of football sports performance, you can tell that there's, okay, we're, we're going to focus more on football and, and getting something out of this, out of this area. And so he, again, let, let's, we'll transition a little bit again, a, an ad there, McGuire, we talked about, so let's go back uh, to the assistant coaches, because I think the next two guys that the conversation can fit a little bit. Seth Dagey is announced Friday night as the new tight ends coach. He bumps up from an offensive quality control analyst. Uh, it goes, I think, hand in hand a little bit with the news that Chris Claiborne, who was also an offensively offensive uh, quality control analyst for USC, last year in his first year kind of doing anything at that level he's hired by Arizona State to go be the linebacker coach out there and and you know Claiborne is clearly a, a defensive mind a defensive minded guy and Daggy as a former quarterback clearly an offensive minded guy but again two guys you know doing the same position and I think that the same thing in in the 2020 season and I think that there's going to be some connection between those two, right? How this guy does, how that guy does. And, and you can kind of compare them because when uh, John David Baker was hired by Mississippi to go out there and, and be the tight ends coach and the uh, offensive, the, the passing game coordinator uh, out there for Lane Kiffin, uh, you had an opening, you had an opening as an assistant coach. And really at that point you could, you could have replaced him with a tight ends coach could have done, you know, a lot of different things. Uh, and while that opening was there, Chris Claiborne is hired by Arizona state. And so that's just sort of a long winded question with, with some background there. And, and I'll, I'll open that up again to you thoughts on, on Daggy getting that bump and, and being the tight ends coach. Well, 
I, I think like so many things that we've talked about, this is complex. Uh, let's start off first with uh, something that you said. You know, both Claiborne and Daigie were offensive uh, quality control uh, analysts, okay? So they had something in common. You'd have to think that Chris Claiborne and Daigie both understand the USC offense. Okay, they, that's, that was their primary look to it. Uh, the fact that Daigie was a former quarterback, well, he wasn't a former tight end. He was a former quarterback, okay? And Daigie also is a buddy of, uh, you know, he's a former Texas Tech quarterback. Uh, gee, doesn't that have something to uh, coincidence with uh, Graham Harrell? So I get the good old boy connection there. You know, some people would want to say the Texas good old boy connection, but I'm okay with that. Okay, I'm okay with that. Where I'm not okay is the fact that when uh, I first saw that, that, that Claiborne was going to ASU, it made, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And the reason it didn't was because, look, Claiborne played on both sides of the line of scrimmage when he was in high school, okay? So he knows offense. He was a head high school and a successful one at Calabasas. So he knows basic pass patterns for tight ends. Uh, he was in the NFL. He knows what tight ends do and crossing patterns and, you know, depending on the lexicon that other teams use. So, you know, on, this, on, a, on a ranking scale of coaches, to be honest with you, I don't think tight end is in the first seven slots of USC football coaching importance. And they don't even throw to the tight end enough to sit there and say, well, you know what, that could really make a difference. So where am I going with this? You know, I was uncomfortable that why would Chris Claiborne, if they had an opening, a coaching opening, strictly coaching opening, why was he not taken as the tight ends coach just to keep him on staff, his recruiting value, but why not just make him the a linebacker coach and, you know, split it with Orlando? Well, obviously uh, all fingers seem to point that or this is not something that Orlando was comfortable with. He's a defensive coordinator. He has the right to do that. But the impact of losing Claiborne to me is, is uh, jaw-dropping, but it got to me a little bit more when I saw that neither uh, Deggy or, or Claiborne had coached tight ends before. So this to me was like, you know, this didn't have to happen. Let's put it that way. I mean, Deggy might turn out to be the best tight end coach they've ever had. Who knows? But I don't think you should have lost Claiborne under those circumstances. I think it was something that, you know, could have worked out. I mean, if we're all pulling from the same rope and it's, you know, I want the best guys on the staff, they're going to bring in the best players. Plus, let's remember that, uh, you know, let's use John uh, David Baker. I mean, he was here for what, a couple of years? And he goes back to, you know, he goes back to Texas or miss, he goes to Mississippi, excuse me. You know, these, these guys are hopping, skipping and jumping. And there's no, there's no uh, guarantee of where, where Helton's going to be after the 2021 season. But I can guarantee you this. Claiborne is a USC guy. He's a coach. He's going to be a good one. Won't shock me if he's eventually on, comes back to USC. But to me, it was like somebody should have stepped in and said, wait, 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 let's sit down and talk this over. And I think at this point, Graham Harrell is calling all the uh, shots for the offense. And uh, he got what he wanted, and uh, we move on. Yeah, I, I think getting Daggy there again—it's—it's it's, okay. Everything's lined up on offense now. This—this this is kind of if you're saying this is everything you need, then here you go. And, and I don't think you have a whole lot of time 
to kind of settle in and okay, this was a, a you know a rebuilding year and then we'll get going you know next year. This has to this needs to produce some results right away and and you've got two really talented tight ends coming in. I mean th this position is such a kind of mind bender where you've got you know th there's a lot of talk about the tight end position and how important it is you've got got you know you've got talented guys there and then you go out for a game and it's it, it's not producing. And so I understand there's that sort of gray area of you know, is, is Drake London a tight end and how does that count and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I, I think that you, you got to start getting something out of there and how many years, you know, it's like the run game, right? How many years are you able to say, oh, we need to do better. We need to do better without actually finding a solution. And so if this is it, then okay. But it, it's like you said, it's going to be tied to this happening at the same time as a guy like Chris Claiborne going to Arizona state. And if, if Chris Claiborne goes, you know, to wake forest or to Syracuse or whatever, it's like, okay, go, go ahead and do that. But it, it hurts when he goes uh, to Arizona state and, and he's, you know, he joins Chris Hawkins and you've got Antonio Pierce there and, and Arizona state is building that kind of uh, coaching staff where they're going to come threaten USC and, and USC as I've always said, and I'm, I'm sure you agree with, if USC is doing everything right, it doesn't matter what Arizona State is doing or Oregon is doing or Washington is doing or even UCLA or, or Cal, you know, any school where USC kind of has everything buttoned up and, and they're moving the way they need to move. Nobody's going to, you know, dominate the Pac-12 or, or come in and, and take over Los Angeles. And so uh, this is feel, losing Chris Claiborne feels like a move where it, it makes that tougher and, and that's when you look at a program like Alabama and some of these other programs where I mean there's they're stashing former college head coaches with you know decades of experience in an analyst role you know that that's kind of uh one of those aspects where when you look at USC yes you're you're building that kind of roster and and the personnel and the recruiting and and that kind of stuff but you're still not there. You're still not there where guys will just hang on because you have a spot for them and, and they can develop uh, there. And so it's, it's, there's some guys that want to coach on the field. They want to be an assistant coach. They, they want to get out there and, and Claiborne, I think everybody can agree that he was ready for that. He had his year as, as the, uh, as the analyst and someone was willing to give him a shot. I certainly, you know, don't begrudge him at all for, for wanting to take that step. Uh, it's, it's tough to see it happen, you know, at Arizona state. And, and I think that's ultimately kind of where, where we both land, where, uh, boy, if you could find a spot for him, it would have been nice, nice to be able to keep him because I, I think he is a, like you said, if you want everybody on board who can be a major asset to your program, I think Chris Claiborne's got to, got to check a lot of boxes for you uh, with what he can do. And, and hopefully, yeah, down the road, he does, he does find a, his way back to, to USC because I think he ultimately probably would, would want to be a USC coach and, and call himself that. But again, it, it's a, we'll see, it's a, we'll see kind of thing of at this point, I'm okay. Giving sort of the benefit of the doubt to Todd Orlando and what he thinks is best for the defense. I think it took a, a really nice step forward uh, last year and and if he felt like hey we've got 
you know, good camaraderie and a, and a good sort of workflow uh, with everyone that we have in, in the defensive huddle and, and on that staff. Okay. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I think transitioning a little bit, one of the things that, that the defense and the offense too, but, but we'll start with a couple of the defensive guys, what they've been able to do USC specifically, and we'll get into a little recruiting now. Uh, the first thing I want to hit on is the, the transfer portal, how USC has been able to use the transfer portal to add potentially some real instant impact guys. And this is four guys that USC has signed out of the portal now. And just to run them down, the two guys I, I want to talk about on, on defense, defensive tackle Ishmael, Ishmael Sopcher. And that name is going to trip me up for, for the whole year. A little tongue twister. Uh, defensive tackle from Alabama. And then a, a defensive back, kind of a safety corner hybrid in Xavier and Alfred uh, from Texas, a guy who... Uh, Craig Nivar, the safeties coach at USC and, and Todd Orlando didn't coach, but certainly recruited uh, to Texas and then two offensive guys, wide receiver, Katie Nixon from Colorado, and then another former Texas player in Keontae Ingram, a, a running back. And so a bunch of a few positions in need, and I'm talking about Sopcher at defensive tackle and, and I think Ingram uh, at running back and then a couple guys, I, I think where just, you look at the talent and you think, Hey, if I, if I can add talent to the roster uh, in Alfred and, and Nixon uh, again, a, a little bit open-ended. I don't know if you want, let, let's start with the two defensive guys uh, with kind of your thoughts on, on kind of the need for them and, and potential fit and just kind of overall USC adding a, a couple of, like I mentioned, may, maybe guys who make an impact right away. Well, you know, you first have to start off with why are they going into the transfer portal or taking transfers if the roster was the recruiting was uh, at a high level across the board. Now that's not to take away from Sopshire or uh, uh, Avion uh, Alfred. Okay. But let, let's take a look first at, at, uh, at uh, Sopshire. He was one of the top defensive linemen in the country out of Louisiana. Okay. He was a big time player. He went to Alabama. Things didn't work out. He, you know, he went down on the depth chart. He, he, he put on weight, but that doesn't mean that he finds a change of scenery. All of a sudden he lives up to the, you know, the, the high potential. So it's possible. And we remember, you know, we saw Stevie Colavato uh, come into SC uh, from Utah as a grad transfer and look how he turned out. He turned out to be the Rose bowl MVP. Okay. And so we know that there are players that can increase their game or really showcase what they can do. They get a, you know, a, a chance to prove it. Uh, you know, Stevie didn't get a really maybe uh, the opportunity he wanted in Utah, but he definitely was Utah well coached. Okay. So Sopshire, I think is going to step right in. Uh, I've watched film of him from high school. You know, I, I watched video uh, stuff on him in terms of when he was out at Alabama. So, you know, this could be an, an attitude thing where he just kind of got down on himself and said, you know, I need to get out of here. So I think it's a big catch for USC. You know, uh, you know, Alfred was another one who kind of got stuck down the depth chart at Texas. Uh, the thing that you know, people say, well, how did he choose USC? Well, he was recruited out of high school by uh, USC safety coach, Craig Navarre. So, Navarre knows what he's getting in the transfer. Uh, this might turn out to be a, a good thing. Maybe 
maybe in the long run, Alfred turns out to be, you know, another, uh, you know, uh, Talanoa Hufunga, who knows? But there is the connection there between Narvar. So that's, that's a pretty good thing there. But each one of these players, except for KD Nixon, who's a grad transfer, uh, has some sort of, shall we say, question mark around them on why they didn't succeed at their previous school. Doesn't mean they're damaged goods. I, I will say this on, let's say, Keontae Ingram, the running back. You know, I saw a film on him in high school and in, uh, at Texas. He's got extremely quick feet. He's extremely powerful. Uh, if they are willing to run the ball with him, he, he, he can do it. He can do it. But then you could, you could argue that so could, you know, uh, the running backs that SC has on campus. It's really a question, again, goes back to, I hate to say it because it's belaboring the point, what Graham Harrell wants to do with the running attack. And thus far, he's not shown much interest in being very dedicated to it. I mean, he'll say, oh, yeah, we run the ball but not in a true pounded away. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're going to see. Nixon's intriguing because he's a wide receiver, and I know a lot of people are saying another wide receiver, but I think you'll probably address it. Uh, you know, there's more than meets the eye because they did, you know, SC has lost a number of very good college player uh, wide receivers, uh, hopefully uh, hooking on at the NFL. Yeah, I, I look at Sopcher right away as a guy where it's like, hmm, let's let's see that guy. I mean, all four of these guys are were, were you know, highly decorated recruits and, and big time guys. So, you know, at the very base level, there's some athleticism there. And that's what you kind of hit hit on to before. And sometimes that does not work out. And sometimes guys sort of just fade away on the bench. I, I think that's what the transfer portal sort of allows, not, not that it invented transferring, but that it makes it easier for guys to kind of restart and, and get a change of scenery uh, at, a, at a program where it's, okay, we have a, a good idea already of what you can do because we've seen some film, you know, at this level. Uh, and, and so maybe coaches have a, a better understanding of what they can do rather than asking a high school kid, Hey, we want you to do this. And then when they can't, it sort of falls apart. So uh, I think uh, I'm willing to bet on Vic Soto, the defensive line coach at USC, finding something in Sopcher to, to get him going and to find some production there. And that's a really important spot for USC right away uh, to get somebody after losing Jay Tufele and Marlon Tuipolotu early to the NFL draft. You, you got to find somebody there because it's a lot of youth. Uh, at that position uh, that you just don't know if you can rely on at this point. Again, like I said, that jump from high school to college, if you can find a guy who's sort of already seen that level of play and Sopcher at Alabama certainly has seen that. Uh, I, I think that's a, a nice addition. Xavier Alford the, plays that kind of that safety, you know, nickel corner hybrid kind of spot, but I think he can do a lot. Uh, maybe replacing Talanoa Hufunga, maybe he can do, uh, some of that, but I like, again, like you said, the familiarity that the defensive coaches have with him, having recruited him and, and certainly, you know, familiar with both his playing style, his personality, all of that. Offensively, Keontae Ingram, U USC clearly wanted another running back uh, in this 2021 recruiting class. They signed Brandon Campbell, a, a four-star guy from Texas. And then Ingram, again, gives you confidence. Hey, we've seen this guy do it. We know what he can do really good in the passing game. And, and obviously that's going to be important uh, when you're, when you're in this USC 
offense. And I just, you know, there, there are four running backs now with Campbell on campus and, and an early enrollee, but how often have you had to go to the, the third running back, the fourth running back over the last couple of years at, at USC? I, I, you love Stephen Carr and Vavai Malapai, the kind of the way they play, the way they run when they're fully healthy. Uh, that hasn't been the case. And so adding a guy like Ingram and, and he got nicked up a little bit uh, last year too, but gives you a, another veteran back and a guy that, that you're comfortable throwing out there alongside Keaton Slovis. And then the Nixon thing, you said it, right? You, you hear USC's bringing in another wide receiver and it's like a, another one. But if you look at that wide receiver group right now, fully confident in Drake London. But outside of that, nobody has really done it for an extended period. Am, am I willing to bet on Brew McCoy? Am I willing to bet on Gary Bryant Jr.? Absolutely. I think they showed enough flashes last year uh, to think, okay, that they're going to make that jump and, and they're going to be reliable guys this year. But that's, I mean, you're still at three, you know, losing Michael Pittman two years ago and then Tyler Vaughn's and Amon Rice St. Brown. That, that is a, I mean, a huge chunk of both production and also kind of that, that confidence, I think that Keaton Slovis had in those guys. So you need to find someone who can step in. I think quickly Katie Nixon brings a bunch of speed to that spot, which USC a wide receiver doesn't really have outside of Gary Bryant. Uh, but it's, you know, you, you look down the roster, uh, Joshua Jackson Jr. Who came in with Gary Bryant. He had a lot of people saying a lot of good things about him, but hasn't done it at this level. Uh, we've seen a little bit from John Jackson III. Again, hasn't really done it at this level. Kyle Ford is an unbelievable talent. He's coming off a couple injuries. Are you willing to, you know, fully bet he's going to be ready and he's going to be able to go the whole year? Again, I think just based on talent, yeah, you expect a lot still out of him. Uh, but that wide receiver spot, once you start really breaking it down and, and who's there and who are the guaranteed guys uh, for this year, if you're going to throw it as much as you feel like Graham Harrell's going to throw it and, and they're going to want to with Keaton Slovis in his third year, again, Nixon's a guy that, that makes sense to me to bring in. Well, just remember that Nixon's plan was to go to the NFL. Right. And, uh, you know, along the way, he figured, well, you know what, I could probably improve my stock by playing uh, in an offense that's going to allow me to catch the ball. And I think he will catch the ball. And I think, Remember, he, he was the receiver basically opposite of uh, Chenault at, uh, at Colorado, and he, he had some really outstanding games. So I think he's a real, a real fine for them. And remember that all of these transfers have one thing in mind, and that's getting to the NFL. So the idea is if, I've, if this is my second stop, I got to make sure it's my last stop. So you're probably going to get the best that they have to offer and hopefully they'll be put in a position where they can uh, be successful. Uh, again, you know, when you talk about successful in offense, it all roads point back to Graham Harrell. I don't care if you, re if you, if SC recruited five Charles Youngs, okay. Uh, if you're not going to use them, then what's, what's the point, you know, stockpiling great tight ends when you don't throw them is like stockpiling uh, great Goodyear tires, but you never drive the car. What's the point? So we're going to see just how flexible, uh, you know, Graham Harrell will be. I'll tell you, after year three of, of his offense, if they're still not throwing to the tight end, I think we can all safe to say that they're not throwing to the tight end. And it's, you know, at, at some point, it's going to affect recruiting, just like the, 
you know, the running game, if you're not going to run and you're going to come in last in the pack 12 and rushing, uh, you know, two things are going to happen. You're not going to get running backs. I mean, Najee Harris is of the world are going to go to Alabama out of the state of California and your great offensive linemen are going to go to Oregon where they put a premium because the head coach is a former offensive line coach uh, and l- offensive lineman himself, uh, or they're going to go to some other place in the Pac-12 that's going to run the ball, maybe even an Arizona State, and you're going to find out that, uh, you know, this is a real domino effect. And that that's kind of my, my real fear is that this is going to be something that when it comes to recruiting, uh, you know, you're going to pay for, uh, you know, maybe somebody's uh, – inflexible offensive philosophy and and this is definitely the uh twice as a coincidence three times as a trend right the going into this third year where again you you it's not like you've been decimated kind of at at any spot you you've had kind of some content continuity uh at offensive line certainly a quarterback for you know going into last year and then also going into this year the running backs are are veteran guys we you know we mentioned some of the shakeup at, at wide receiver but the talent you know certainly there so i think anything that happens this coming year offensively uh if it's kind of carry over from the last couple of years like, like you said safe to say okay that's that might be what it looks like and, and that's what it's capable of but you mentioned recruiting a little bit we talked a little transfer portal uh signing day coming up on wednesday and and this is not the signing day of you know five ten years ago the the february signing period has been completely overshadowed by the early signing period and and that's just unless unless something major changes that is just the way it's going to be guys are going to sign uh in december even this class that couldn't take visits starting in the spring no official visits for them still a massive uh, majority signed during December. There's one guy really uh, still out there for USC who's going to make an announcement on signing day. And that's four-star linebacker, Rajon Davis from Modern Day. And and I'm going to sort of tee this up for you. Just thoughts on on the importance, I think, of, of Davis. And in the context of USC signed Corey Foreman, the number one overall prospect, in the 2021 recruiting class. They signed him during the early signing period. He announced it right at the beginning of January. And then since then, USC has gotten a commitment from a five-star and, and a top five player in the 2022 class in Damani Jackson, who's a high school teammate of Ray John Davis. So in, uh, again, kind of contextually in all of that, Ray John Davis, the importance of getting him on Wednesday for USC. Well, I think it's huge. It's huge for all the reasons that you that you've mentioned. Uh, you know, we don't know what how big an impact Corey Foreman will have as a as a player, but we do know how big an impact he's he represents for uh, let's say uh, a guy like Ray John Davis. Corey Foreman says, "Look, at if I'm going here, it's good enough. It's a good reflection on Todd Orlando and the coaching staff." Uh, that they're doing a hell of a job. No question about that. The key here is that Rajon Davis is kind of sandwiched in between USC uh, players from modern day and recruits. As you mentioned, Damani Jackson, uh, you know, is a year behind Rajon Davis. Well, once again, you know, there was a little crack in the modern day armor for players going to Oregon. And of course, obviously, uh, you know, Bryce Young going to, uh, to uh, Alabama. 
So to get the, uh, the modern day pipeline going again is really, really important. I think the thing to, to keep in mind though with Rajon Davis is, although everyone seems to be in agreement that, that if you were a betting man, you'd say he's going to USC. Uh, I was uh, interested in the fact that his whole family paid their way to go to see Ohio State on their own dime because with this current NCAA rules and with COVID, you know, you have a situation where, you know, the coaches can't pick you up. So this family, from what I understand, went to Cleveland, drove down in the snow to Columbus, okay? And, uh, you know, they, they were willing to, to go that far, which means that they're very interested. There was also the rumor that they might, again, take another trip. Well, I don't, I haven't heard whether that uh, came about or whether it's even going to come about, but uh, there was a uh, uh, tweet, I believe it was from Rajon Davis's father, mm-hmm. that said they might make a, a second trip, which tells me, look, if you're going to make a second trip, you know, and you probably spent a couple of thousand dollars to make the last trip, then you're really serious about it. So, you know, Ohio State does have players on their roster from last season and uh, Wyatt Davis. All-America guard out of St. John Bosco. Uh, and also you had uh, Alave, the uh, great wide receiver who announced he's coming back for another season at Ohio State out of San Diego. So there's a lot of things that, uh, that can, can connect Davis to uh, Ohio State. But if I was a betting man, I'd say he's going to USC. That's just my opinion. I think he'd be a, an outstanding player in this system. And again, uh, you know, a lot of depend on what mama wants. You know, she says, you know, I want you to stay here. We want to watch you play. It was great to see what Ohio State looked like. And the snow was fun for a couple of days, but I, don't, I think this would grow old. It'll be an interesting concept. So uh, there's a lot riding on Wednesday. And plus the bragging rights. I mean, SC is right behind Oregon, uh, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, final rankings. And it'd be kind of fun to see SC uh you know, uh, hopscotch over Oregon in the final rankings. Yeah, the the hope would be, right, that they know he's going to USC. And so, hey, let's take one more trip because we're not going to have to travel very far to see you play for for the next few years. Uh, There's a few programs that you don't want chasing your top targets uh, going into signing day, and Ohio State is one of them. Alabama is certainly up there. And and uh, I don't want, uh, you know, Dabo Dabo giving my guys a call uh, late in the process, but uh, I, I, you know, USC, I think has done a really good job with Rajon Davis and, and really with that 2021 class, I mean, Corey Foreman and, and Rajon Davis are going to be the two guys I think that get talked about the most because going into that 2021 class, those were the two guys that, that you had to have. And those were the two guys that you were at one point guaranteed to lose. I mean, Corey Foreman was committed to Clemson. Rajon Davis was committed to LSU for a long time. And that's kind of what the previous classes felt like. You know, you had uh, Kayvon Thibodeau in that 2019 class. You had Justin Flo in that 2020 class. Two defensive must-get guys in the Los Angeles area, and they're both at Oregon. I mean, those kind of guys didn't have to go to USC anymore. Corey Foreman didn't have to go to USC. You know, Georgia was there. LSU was there. Clemson was there. Uh, if he wanted to go to Alabama, if he, if he wanted to go anywhere, he could have gone there. And 
like you mentioned with the USC staff and, and Dante Williams, kind of that, that tip of the spear uh, with anything that, that comes to recruiting, but a lot of the, the defensive guys and, and some of the offensive guys too. And, and a lot of the, uh, you know, kind of the recruiting personnel uh, people that USC has added, they've done a good job to convince these guys and, and these guys being the three that I, that we've talked about Foreman and, and potentially Davis uh, and, and Demonte Jackson, that you can go to USC again. You know, if, if you're a, a big time standout national guy, USC can be the answer for you. And now it's kind of up to them to prove it on the field. Uh, but you're going to get big boosts from Corey Foreman and from Demonte Jackson uh, in terms of, of pushing that. It, it used to be for a few years, it was like, hey, if you're a big time guy, you better look out. You better look at Ohio State. You better look at Alabama. You better go out there. So changing the narrative on that and, and however much credit you want to give to kind of the, the take back the West thing or it does that matter? Does that not matter? I think it's all, you know, based on actions and, and actually following through and, and getting something done boy, have they gotten something done. And, and you've got a chance to, to add a really big piece in Rajon Davis, who, uh, again, we want to talk about um, what these guys can do kind of for you off the field. On the field, these are, these are three tremendously talented football players who can play early for you and, and who can do a lot of different things uh, in a defense where I think Orlando has shown that he has the ability to, to get creative with guys and, and kind of use them uh, to his advantage and, and to kind of what, what they can do, show what they can do uh, in terms of versatility. So, yeah, I, I don't think uh, that you can sort of understate how big getting Davis would be. And, and it really, in a, in a day where there aren't a lot of guys and, and not a lot of schools can make sort of huge splashes by signing, you know, a, a 20, 25 person recruiting class because so much is tied up in that early period, you know, you, if you're USC, you get to be talked about on the, the early signing day because you signed a great class. You get to be talked about uh, on that January uh, second day when both Sierra Wright and Corey Foreman announced. You get to be talked about on, on that Saturday when Damani Jackson makes his commitment. And then if you can get Rajon Davis, you do you get a chunk of time there. And so when you're trying to put kind of eyeballs on your program, this is good. It's, it's all good. It's all sort of positive. Uh, moving forward and I think that Rajon Davis he you know you, you get another linebacker in this class you needed a couple and and him pairing with Julian Simon is, is a great haul there and you're really starting to look good uh, in terms of defensive personnel that you are adding that you're adding to this program and, and I think ultimately you've got to be really happy if you land Davis with uh, with what you did defensively I think in this class. And I think we have to also say what these defensive coaches, Dante Williams, especially, of course, uh, recruited, they're recruiting in spite of the question marks about Clay Helton, which is really quite remarkable when you think about it. Okay, they've done a great job. So now the spotlight's going to turn to the offensive side. Okay, but I think that, you know, we all are aware now that Max Preps named uh, Jackson Dart quarterback recruit out of uh out of utah as their national player of the year and that and that and that's a big thing i think if dart had played in southern california he might have been the number one recruit uh you know i've watched him i saw him i know many of our listeners probably watched him or seen film on him 
he's really an impressive person. And that doesn't take away from Miller Moss. So the quarterbacks, we know SC's in great shape in the future. We know wide receivers. But almost in this podcast to come full circle, it's still going to get down to, you know, the offensive side of the ball and the coaches on that side of the ball getting offensive linemen. And they can't keep going to uh, Oregon. They can't keep going to, you know, uh, maybe, uh, you know, UCLA or going to uh, even Utah. Uh, That's the one area that's really going to come into focus because, as you said, the defensive end talent-wise with this recruiting class is exceptional. Uh, but And the skill players, as we've known, are, are really good. But again, if they're going to, let's face it, they haven't won the Pac-12 in three years, okay? And the difference between them and Oregon right now is dominance along the offensive line, in my opinion, okay? And that's the one area that in the future is going to get down to can they recruit offensive linemen no matter who the coach is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we want to go back a, a little bit more talking about Jackson Dart, Seth Dagey, uh, instrumental in, in kind of recruiting quarterbacks and, and being involved in, in a lot of uh, the decision uh, with Jackson Dart and, and you know, Miller Moss and, and some of the offensive guys. So he's a guy who's, who's proven a little bit already that, that he can also, uh, he can also get things done with, with recruiting. And that's, you know, we're seeing, I think, positively more and more uh, of an emphasis, not fully shifting to, oh, you only need to recruit, you don't need to coach, but uh, getting involved, getting assistant coaches more and more involved in, in recruiting and making that a, a, you know, one of the priorities, uh, I think, has been good because USC, the, the idea that, you know, oh, these schools recruit themselves, Alabama, Ohio State, you know, USC being one of those, I don't fully buy that. I don't think you can just throw a, a, you know, an offer at a guy and say, Hey, you know, if you like it, then come here. Uh, But I do think USC is one of those schools. And I'll say they, they introduce USC introduces itself, right? If you see the the interlocking SC, some guy in Mississippi, a a guy in Pennsylvania, you know, recruits somewhere over there, they know, okay, that's USC. You got to do the work still though. You know, Alabama Alabama gets out recruited by other schools. Uh, it's not something where you just get to show up and, and sign a guy. So USC now putting that effort in to landing these guys. Uh, I, I think we're seeing the results of that. And like you said, the next step is going to be offensive line. I think you've got some pieces there, you know, the, the six guys that, that you signed in the 2020 class, and then the three guys that are coming in now, I, I think there's some, there are, there's some pieces to work with, but you've had a couple of years now where, Hey, this is a, a must get offensive lineman, just like Corey Foreman was the, the must get defensive lineman. And, and you haven't closed things with those guys. So that'll be the next step. Uh, I think clearly for USC, but the next step being going into uh, winter conditioning and, and that's going to be Robert Steiner. And then we've got spring ball where uh, focus shifts to kind of Clay McGuire and, and that offensive offensive front. Uh, so uh, kind of excited to see kind of what these new guys can do and, and how USC uh, transitions after a, a strange season. And, and hopefully we can get kind of back on track with, with what, you know, we're used to college football looking like uh, come spring ball and, and summer and, and that, that 2021 season. But uh, for now, that's kind of our, our look back at, at some of the 
comings and goings and, and ins and outs more uh, this off season shifting from 2020 to, to 2021. So Greg, thanks for, for joining us and, and thank you all for listening to the We Are SC podcast.